Hi, Julia. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. This oh is such a small world. God, my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you because I was really touched by the essay that you wrote, which is in mm. your book. Obviously, you're interested in this conversation and creating mm -hmm. this conversation around this topic. So I'm just so excited to speak with you. First and foremost, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Okay, sure. Uh, my name is Julia Tertian. I am a cookbook author. I host a podcast and I am a very proud home cook. And yeah, I don't know what else to say. That's <laughs> kind of, perfect. That's sort of it. Yeah. Well, I'm really like especially excited to talk to you because I've never had I've never had a conversation for this series with a cook or with someone who mm, for a interesting. living. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. You know, there is a very complicated relationship between fat people when it comes to food and the idea of loving food. This cookbook that you just came out with is about healthy comfort food. Mm -hmm. So how do you define healthy comfort food? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you first how I don't define it, which yeah. is to say, yeah, I wrote a book about um, a cookbook with recipes for healthy comfort food, and it has nothing at all to do with weight loss. And that pretty much, I think, sums it up. I mean, I think it's really interesting to me how unusual that is. And, you know, I think healthy, especially within cookbooks and food media, and honestly, just like food packaging, um, like the word healthy that appears on like food you're buying or on a menu, like anywhere where there are words describing food, <laughs> when the word healthy is used, my experience has been that it's pretty much always been misused. And it's a way of just saying skinny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wanted to write a cookbook that did not equate health with thinness because mm -hmm. they're not the same. <laughs> so in terms of how do I define healthy, how do I define healthy comfort? For me, it's totally about just how I feel when I'm cooking and eating. It's my relationship to food, both as um, a, a maker of it, as, as a cook and an eater of it. And it is for me at this point in my life, I will say I'm really, really happy that every day, like the best way I can describe my relationship with myself, with my body is just an increasingly free one. For me, healthy has everything to do with freedom and freedom from guilt and restriction and deprivation, freedom from judgment, most of all, I would say, and just freedom from all of it just weighing on us, no pun intended, no pun intended. just feeling yeah. a bit more free around it. So that's definitely how I think about it. And yeah, it has nothing to do with like calories or what I'm eating at all. It's just about how, how do I feel? I'm assuming that that is probably like a feeling that has evolved over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I remember like when I was much younger, always thinking fat is bad mm -hmm. and you can either be fat or healthy, right? Yeah. And then there's what is the in-between, but then over the years, and you can't you you do talk about this in your essay too. Like you bought this emotions poster, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Refer to um, having to know yourself and having mm -hmm. to learn how to to get to know yourself better is something that fat people really have to experience from a young age, just because there are so many complex emotions that happen. I also assume that like cooking has probably helped you 
like heal through a lot of those traumas that you've had with your body. Um, I know for me, I had mentioned to you, like I have a hala business now and through talking about eating bread, I've healed a lot of that of mm. like, it's okay for me to eat the bread. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. bread isn't what's bad for me. It's like everyone else's ideas around bread is what's bad. Yeah. I've been working on something that is about exactly this. So it's really interesting to talk to you about because I don't know if you know this about my mom, but my mom grew up in a bread bakery. Her parents ran a bakery in Brooklyn and I never knew those grandparents, but my grandparents came from the same business. My grandmother's father ran a bakery like in the old country and my grandfather's father was a flour miller's son. That's how they met. So bread is like very important to my family, right? And it also was something I used to be so scared of because I grew up with very similar ideas, I guess, around fatness and definitely was taught and was shown that, you know, the less space you take up, the more valuable you are. So it meant that this thing that my family has such an attachment to, bread, which most people around the world have some attachment to. It was something we loved because bread is obviously the best thing in the world. It's so good. Um, And it was also something we feared and just lived in fear of. And I have been kind of working through this, you know, my whole life. And, but yeah, I've been like working on kind of a story about just this and like learning not to be scared of bread. And so it's really interesting to know about the work you've been doing and what it's, you know, helped you work through. So for me, cooking in some ways has definitely helped me heal my relationship with food. But I think it's also given me a lot of control over food in ways that, I don't know, I don't know that they've all, it's always been healing. Like as a cookbook author, I measure things for a living, right? And that is actually really, I'm finding, is like not something I really want to continue doing because measuring food in any way is just a total trigger for me. I was like on and off of Weight Watchers for like over a decade and I'm pretty sick of measuring food and like, but I also love writing recipes and I love helping people feel really comfortable in their kitchen and I can still write recipes and maybe have less of a emotional feeling about the measurements or I can also help people learn to cook in other ways too. Like, I don't know. I just am like working through all this and I would say one thing that I feel like is important to share based on what you brought up is something that's been really, really helpful for me in navigating this thing we're talking about that I think we've both been navigating and it sounds like many people you're talking to have been navigating, which is just diet culture, right? Like, what is it? How do we not participate in it? And for me, because I've had this lifelong love of cooking, Mm -hmm. but I've also had such a hard relationship with my body and issues around body image and stuff, it's been really confusing for me because I feel like, wait, I love food. Right. I'm so curious about food. I feel so confident when I'm cooking. I feel so great. Like food is wonderful. And at the same time, I've been like, wait, food is what makes you fat. And that's the thing you don't want to be. And that's the thing I've been told not to be. And I'm scared of what I'm eating and I feel guilty and I feel shame. So it's been incredibly confusing for me (laughs) because it's not been all good or all bad. And just understanding the distinction between cooking and eating. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably like really clear to other people, but for me, it wasn't so clear. And just separating those two, even though they obviously have so much to do with each other, has just been helpful because yes, I've loved to cook and I've had a fraught relationship with my body. And both those things have existed at the same time. And there's also 
a version of my life that I feel like I'm living now. And I'm so grateful to where I can be just as happy when I'm eating as I am when I'm cooking. Cooking must be an outlet for you in some sense. Um, but oh, yeah. And, and food also, you know, just like the creativity that comes with cooking and coming up with recipes and all those things. But I think a lot of fat people also have any anxieties when it comes to food. So almost like the opposite approach or, mm-hmm. or opposite relationship that you've like used food as an outlet. Like food can be like this really scary thing that it's like, oh God, like I don't want to learn how to cook because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want people to like, judge me for being a fat person who likes to cook mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, the idea of loving food it, mm-hmm. as a fat person is like something that like you can't really admit. I mean, you kind of mentioned it, right? Like of having to separate those two things to, to not feel scared of food. Um, but there are a lot of like food fears too. While I've lived with a lot of fraught feelings about my body, like I've always lived in, I guess what I understand to be like a straight size body and like I do not nor have I ever lived in what I would understand to be like a very fat body so I think my experiences just come with a lot more privilege than others like I do not live in the most oppressed type of body I'm also white which changes things like I also only know what it is to live in my body no one else is so I can only speak to my experience but I just want to share a little bit more information about how my body moves through the world. Something that's been really helpful for me, which came at the encouragement of my therapist, is just something I've done in the past is like basically immediately believe whatever voice in my head is telling me, like whatever it's telling me, I've believed it. Like I haven't questioned it and stopping and pausing and just being curious. And that has been huge for me. It almost always in that moment, I'm like, oh, this is just diet culture. This is like, mm-hmm. you were taught this from such an early age by like everyone in your life, not just like my family, like the world, like media and everything. Like, so that's going to have like a really strong grip. And right now it's like holding on, like that's what's happening. So just in those moments, shifting from being anxious to just trying to be curious has been really helpful. Like noticing my anxiety, like observing it, like that is really helpful. And it kind of goes back to that um, poster thing, which was just something I did and I continue to use it. That's just been really, really helpful for me. And basically I just got, I bought an emotions poster from like a school supply website. I mean, you could probably get it anywhere online. And, you know, it's like, um, I think it's like 15 or 20 like different emotions or feelings. And there's like a picture of a kid next to each one, like making the face of it. And, you know, you said earlier that I think, or at least what I heard you say, it was like when you were growing up, you thought you could be healthy or you could be fat. And I felt that way too. And I also for so long felt like the only two feelings I had experienced were being happy or being fat. Mm-hmm. And understanding one that fat is not a feeling <laughs> like right. like like I was just incorrect like oh this is not a feeling like right. like it's a way to describe the size of something like that's right. not a feeling um right. and I didn't know it wasn't a feeling and no one asked me to describe yeah. what I was actually feeling because everyone I was around was saying the same thing all the time like it was very accepted and it changed for me when I started spending time with someone who 
who just doesn't identify it as a feeling. And that is my wife, Grace, who is amazing. And just, I don't, yeah, I don't, I would not be having this conversation with you had it not been for her essentially asking me just to tell her what I was actually feeling. <laughs> like it's, it's that simple, but it's that profound. And I didn't have the answer for her. Like every time I was like, oh, I feel so fat. And she'd be like, well, not a feeling. So like, what are you actually feeling? And I would be, I would have nothing to say because I had no idea what I was feeling. I just knew I wasn't feeling good. So one, I confused fat with being a feeling. And two, I had basically made it a word that meant anything other than good, which meant I couldn't, even though it's not a feeling, I couldn't feel fat and good or happy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying like growing up feeling like, oh, you could be fat or healthy, like you couldn't be both. Like I feel the same thing about happy. <laughs> like you could feel fat or you could feel happy, but you can't feel both. So yeah, in the moments where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling fat, I go stand in front of the poster and I'm like, okay, Julia, like what are you actually feeling? And I am very helped by having like a visual yeah. aid. Yeah, the poster's been really helpful. <laughs> I recommend it. It's, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I got to get a poster. <laughs> That's so funny. It's simple. Like it's right. When you like have to train yourself to become a kid again, you're like, yeah. oh, things make more sense now. Yeah. 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 Um, can I ask you when you were growing up, what was your experience like moving in your body? Were you bullied in school? Hmm. Were you... Uh, what was the conversation around food growing up, eating at home, um, your friends, what did they look like? Did you ever have, you know, people you could talk to about it? Like what was yeah. that? I honestly, like in retrospect, when I think back, I definitely was bullied for my body and it, but it wasn't at school. It was definitely like within my family, which is hard. And also I think the people bullying me were also bullying themselves. <laughs> So it's been interesting for me to just see that more clearly as an adult, like both the fact that they were doing it to themselves, but also like it wasn't happening to me at school or at least not to my face. Like not that I know of, like maybe it was, but whatever. Um, I'm just going to interrupt you. I think that's really please. important because I have a similar experience to that. And I feel like a lot of the time family members will kind of try to like with fat kids kind of be like I want to protect you right I don't mm -hmm. want you to get bullied at school I don't want kid I don't want your peers to make fun of you I don't want you to have a hard time when you have to go find a job right and similar to you like I didn't experience it like externally at school either mm -hmm. and I was always just very confused and like am I supposed to feel bad about myself like I'm mm -hmm. not feeling bad about myself but now I might be <laughs> you know yeah yeah. I mean, it's just a total mind fuck. <laughs> like, and for me, I mean, I had internalized so much of the bullying. It's, mm -hmm. I think it's hard not to. And so that meant that at places like school and summer right. camp, like the places where I spent a lot of time as a young person, um, outside of my family, I had internalized that bullying so much and that, um, just shame about my body to the point where I think I was walking around with such a wall up mm -hmm. and I was, I don't know, I feel really fortunate in so many ways because I really did have such positive experiences with my peer groups. And I had like one or two 
close friends who in retrospect, I was like, oh, I wasn't telling them anything. Like, I don't, I think sometimes I hear myself being like, I didn't have any close friends. And I feel like that belittles the friendships I did have. And I don't want to do that, but I know that there was a lot I wasn't sharing because I didn't know how to share it. And I was like in pain about a lot of it. And I think the best way to describe who I was as like a young person, I don't, I mean, this is going to sound really like egoy, but it just is the truth. But so I was student body president of my school, but I didn't go. You were too? Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, <laughs> and you but, know what's really interesting? Somebody else that I spoke to on this podcast was too. And I think that- It makes I, sense to me. It makes sense, right? Yeah, it, I held that role, um, but I also never went to prom. So I think I put myself in a position, I don't know, where I was like respected, but I wasn't vulnerable with anyone, including myself. Like, I think I, I put up those walls so much because I had internalized so much of the bullying. So in terms of like movement and stuff, like I think as a young kid and like through middle school, I was like really active and I played a lot of sports. And then I basically stopped in high school because to me, I mean, one my freshman year of high school, I remember I had like gained like a significant amount of weight and I was like really self-conscious and I have always been a pretty strong person and in many ways physically like pretty fearless. <laughs> like I would play like goalie cause I didn't care if something was coming flying at me. Like, um, but I never had great like stamina, like part of why I was like, I'll be goalie and let these objects fly at me right. because, because then it meant I could run less. Right. Like, I'll take the hit if I don't have to be out of breath. I feel like come like, you know, ninth grade or something, I had gained weight. So I felt like I was just, it was easy for me to get out of breath. And that made me feel really self-conscious. And I also like remember like uniforms for sports teams, like they would have to order me like a different size and like, you know, something without sleeves would be really hard for me. Like I just felt so uncomfortable and self-conscious. And it also just got a lot more competitive. Like it used to be fun. And then all of a sudden it became competitive. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I sort of like excused myself from that. And I got involved in student government where I could still feel like active, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not so much physically, but I could feel part of something. And I also like, you know, it didn't have anything to do with my body. You talked about the uniforms and the different sizes, right? Mm. A lot of these conversations, I'm finding that just talking about these experiences for for thin body people is like kind of an awakening, right? Mm. Um, Just to learn through telling these stories and through having these conversations, something as simple as like needing to order a size extra large t-shirt is Mm -hmm. horrifying when you're 16 years old and so impressionable. And like, I also just, I don't know, I spent a lot of time, obviously a lot of time thinking about the stuff and Mm -hmm. navigating it personally. Mm -hmm. And I also am trying increasingly to understand like, oh, if this was what it was like for me, imagine what it was like for someone who didn't, you know, I was wearing whatever, I don't need to like give sizes, but I was wearing like larger sizes than like the girls on my team. But like, there are girls and women who need other sizes like what was it like for them and this stuff is just really hard and I think one of the things that is most just upsetting to me about diet culture is that at least for me when I think about these things we're talking about like I'm cool talking about them now I've like thought about it a lot like I've processed a lot but like I when I picture myself in these moments 
they were very quiet, mm-hmm. like isolated moments where I just felt so alone. Like I was not someone who was like turning to my friend on the team being like making a joke out of like the thing, the like men's whatever size they had to order me. And I wasn't, and no one on the team was saying anything to like, I just, I tried to hide in those moments and I felt so lonely. And I, again, can only imagine if that's how I felt, how would someone in a larger body in our culture feel? And I just am learning as like an adult talking about the stuff, talking about it like with you, like we've never spoken before. And I feel like I'm like, I really understand you. I feel like you understand me. Like, I don't feel so lonely. And it's something that just breaks my heart about diet culture is like it, it isolates us and it makes us where it's made me just feel so lonely at times. And like, that is just so sad. All the stuff we're talking about, I'm sure anyone who's, you know, who's, who's kind enough to like, listen, like, I'm sure there's a lot of people like nodding, right? Like, we are so not alone in this, but like, we don't talk about it, right? So like, we feel so alone. Absolutely. I think- that's why it's great you're doing this. Well, thank you. And that's why I'm so happy to have you. Um, <laughs> I so appreciate it. But I can really relate to that. I mean, I, when I put out like my first episode of this series, it was really scary because mm. I had never talked about this publicly ever. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it with my therapist. I've talked about mm-hmm. it with my parents, just like you guys, like, like, this is why you can't say certain things to me. Yeah. Like, I feel badly about myself. And I've told like, I would say a very small handful of friends. Um, Mm -hmm. After a few of these conversations, like it just blew my mind how similar everyone's story Mm -hmm. is and how not alone we are. Yeah, And that is when I actually became comfortable with talking Mm. about more and more is like, I was able to heal and, and begin this journey only through publicly like talking about this, yeah. and hearing other people's stories and building that community and, and realizing like, we're not the problem. It's mm-hmm. everybody else is the problem. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. And it's really interesting too, like the rise of Instagram, obviously, and the internet and, and finding those kind of pockets of community for fat people. I never had that growing mm-hmm. up. And that always made me really upset. Like, you know, just like going through 17 magazine and seeing like thin women, thin girls in Mm -hmm. bikinis and like how to lose weight before the summer and all of those things. Like there was not a fat person in sight. And I'm so grateful that now, you know, plus size models are much more like normalized. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you said this, and I think it's another really important point, right? Like I, I consider myself fat. Doctors consider me fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, clothing stores consider me fat because I don't fit into clothes at mm-hmm. stores. But I can only imagine that the struggle for people who are much larger than me, mm-hmm. who can't even look at a plus size model and see themselves yeah. in that, like that, I, it's a, that's a completely different experience that I don't have. That can only be harder. Are you familiar with um, Aubrey Gordon's work? Yeah. Well, I listened to your podcast with her, which I okay. thought was great. And I did a little digging on her and she's awesome. Pretty she's awesome. amazing. Yeah. 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 So she, I guess, yeah. For anyone listening or watching who doesn't know, she, um, on social media, her handle is your fat friend and she's been writing like anonymously for a while, but then she came out with a book uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. called, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. And it's like an amazing book. And she hosts this 
amazing, amazing podcast. I cannot recommend highly enough called Maintenance Phase. It's it's so good. And I got to interview her and something I've learned from her work and in talking to her was like how often fat people and especially very fat people are talked about and not spoken to or like let alone heard and it's like they're not part of the conversation yeah so it's like yeah I mean I can't speak to what it is to be in middle school or high school or summer camp or whatever like in a very fat body I can just tell you about my experience and I can know that my experience is valid and is whatever it was but also like I think good to remember there's other experiences and I would like to know more about those and that's why I kind of seek out that kind of work and other just friends and people to follow on social media and stuff because I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier like for so long I just would go around being like you know whether it was in my head or out loud like oh I feel so fat and everyone around me was saying the same thing so of course it wasn't challenged like we're just asked about and it's like yeah if you change who you're saying things to like the response might change But it's so fascinating to me because a lot of like the, my friends who I grew up with, they were thin. They were mm-hmm. really like thin, conventionally beautiful girls. Mm-hmm. And when I've mentioned, like kind of seeing them watching these conversations mm. has been very interesting to me where they're like, wait, what? Oh, you have to think about I don't know. It could be anything. You have to think about like the way that you're sitting in a room at work. You have to, mm-hmm. whatever it is, like, yeah, that's what it feels mm-hmm. like every day. Yeah. yeah. How is it going? If I may ask Yeah. with your family, are they watching or listening? Yes. My family is watching. Um, I think that I've also kind of built boundaries as yeah. I've grown up around like things that I, I just, you can't talk to me about. Yeah, um, yeah, same. So like, I don't want to hear what you have to say about my appearance, whether it's something, you know, that you consider positive. Um, I I just don't want to hear mm-hmm. it. I don't want to hear that you think I look thin today, that I look good. Like, because mm-hmm. going back to what you said in the beginning, like thin doesn't equate with good. Fat doesn't equate with bad. Like, I want to live my life not having to think about what I look like every day because it just takes up space and Mm -hmm. I could be doing so many other things and so much has been just clogged with Mm -hmm. thinking about my body and I have learned to create more space for other great things and productivity and people and relationships Mm -hmm. that I've never been able to before. It's just so cloudy. Yeah, I'm with you and I'm trying to I'm just really with you. And I'm trying to fill that space with more rest and not with more things. Like, I think that part of, you know, diet culture intersects with so many other things like racism and classism and all this stuff. And I feel like productivity or like the push for it is part of all these things. And I find that too, like, oh, I think about the time the time and energy and money I have spent trying to take up less space. Mm-hmm. If I start thinking about that, like I get really upset, like, yeah. cause it's, 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 I mean, just so much wasted time, energy and money, like dollars. And I think when I try to remove myself from diet culture, push against it, often my instinct is like, what could I have done with that money? What could I have done with that time? Like, And lately I'm like, what if I just 
took naps. <laughs> like, what if I just watched TV during all that time? Like, I think for me, a lot of weight stuff is tied to, it has a lot to do with the idea of being like lazy mm-hmm. and like not productive. And like, for me and my family, fat phobia is very tied to like workaholism. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm not succeeding so much with the following, but I'm really just trying to think about like, oh, what would it look like if you just rested instead of put in all this effort? Like still do everything else you're doing, but don't try to replace this with something else. Like, yeah. That's huge because I think that there's also like an overcompensation that's going on with Mm -hmm. fat people, right? Of like, yeah, like, oh God, I don't want people. I mean, I felt this way. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm lazy because of the way that I look. Student body president. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to make sure that I'm excelling and successful in all these different areas because I have to prove to both myself and to you Mm -hmm. that I'm very capable, that I can be successful, that I can be productive, that I am not this stereotype of this fat person laying on the couch eating potato chips all day. Just as I get older and I just continue to grow, like it's so interesting because I, I really, at times, like I feel grateful for my experience in my, in my fat body um, because it's really pushed me in ways that I may not have been pushed otherwise. Mm-hmm. I am who I am because of those mm-hmm. things. The, that's my silver lining. Yeah. 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 I feel like you're like the voice in my head. I get it. It's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's also like, I feel like also it sounds like things you experience, things I experienced, like were really hard, like, and it sucks. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah, I feel like we can definitely, I think both pull a lot of silver linings, but I think also okay to acknowledge like, yeah, that was, that sucked. <laughs> yeah. And especially like as a kid too, like there was one conversation I had with someone where she just said like, it's a shame because I lost my childhood to dieting. Mm-hmm. And that like that breaks my heart and I can so relate to that like yeah you know in high school I did Weight Watchers Mm -hmm. three times I did Jenny Craig Mm -hmm. I did Atkins I did everything instead of just enjoying my childhood and that's gone and when I look back at those memories that I have as a kid like they are tainted with this narrative of you were fat you have you couldn't just enjoy and that's really sad. That's yeah. Yeah. And I just think like, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, for me, it's like something I'm working on is like grieving that loss. Like there's yeah. grief with that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm curious. Cause I know on your podcast, you always ask people, what was their, what did they eat growing up? <laughs> yeah. I want to know what you enjoyed eating. Um, so sweet. Yeah. It's really interesting. I find whenever I talk about this stuff, which I'm so, it's so funny. It's like, I'm so happy to be having this conversation. I'm really happy to be having it though. It's so serious and has felt very sad at points. Like I'm so happy we're talking about this and it's also not like a fun conversation. And I think there's versions of conversations about fatness and fat phobia and stuff that can be fun, but I just noticed that. And I think this is a really serious topic and one to be taken seriously and thoughtfully but also I appreciate being able to talk about like a really fun memory of food too, because it's all wrapped up with each other. Right. So, um, 
yeah, I always ask everyone their favorite thing to eat when they were growing up. And I always like asking it because answering it is so hard. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, oh my gosh. So I like to eat so many things. Um, and I thought that that was not good. And now I'm like, oh, wow. Like you have found pleasure in so many foods. Like that's cool. Um, so one that immediately comes to mind is, <laughs> so my, I have an older brother and we were raised by our mom and dad and then also very much by Jenny who was our babysitter for like over a decade and Jenny continues to be absolutely part of my family and someone I speak to all the time and we're still super close and a lot of my happy memories around my body and around food are really take place with Jenny and um so a lot of the foods that she would make, that she still makes, that like to me are just some of my favorite like childhood comfort foods. So Jenny's from St. Vincent, which is a small like island nation in the Caribbean. And she makes um, her chicken pilau, which is like a one pot chicken and rice mm -hmm. thing. Um, it is so, so good. And I actually, I don't know, I've like watched her make it. So I ate it all the time as a kid, like loved it. Um, and then as I got older and started working on cookbooks, I was like, I got to learn how to make this, like really learn. Cause she would often make it when I wasn't home, mm. so I would eat it, but I didn't get to see it made. Right. So as an adult, I started like, sometimes I'd be at Jenny's apartment. And I was like, I'll bring the ingredients, tell me what you need. And like, I'm going to bring my notepad uh -huh. and I could, and I watched her make it many times and I like wrote it down. Like, this is what I do for a living, right? Like I put videos <laughs> yeah. on my phone and everything. And I still like cannot make it as good as she does. And I think it's, I never will. Right. Like, of course it's cause it's just her making it. Right. Um, but I put the recipe for it or a version of it, I will say in my first cookbook and small victories. And then I did actually like a vegan version of it with, um, kidney beans in, in my new book and simply Julia instead of chicken. It's really good. Like both of them are really, really good. I make both versions often and neither of them are as good as Jenny's and that's okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. That's a great memory. And yeah. that's, I love that. I love that. Um, well, I am so grateful for this conversation and, um, it's, and having your book and also like now being in this food world that I've just introduced mm -hmm. myself in, in the last year, like it's been, really so liberating to like be okay with eating and being mm. be okay with enjoying food for pleasure and not just for nutrition right yeah so I really appreciate like you and your recipes and mm. you fostering this conversation too around um just enjoying food um so thank you so much no thank, thank you, you so much yeah. This was really like a pleasure. I'm really glad we did this. And also I apologize that I didn't realize it was video, but I'm so, I do not mind sharing it. I just want to say for anyone watching, like I'm not actually like in a tanning bed. I don't know what's <laughs> happening with this. So our living room is painted pink and this lamp at this hour, just, I don't know what's happening here, but <laughs> so um, I, I, like... I like the idea of you doing this in a tanning booth though. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm glad that we got to do this face to face. I think Me it, too. You know, Me it makes too. for a different conversation. So I appreciate it. I'm just like, Absolutely. sorry, I wasn't set up better, but whatever. <laughs> no. This is my real life. So there exactly. you go. <laughs> no, thank you so, so much. Thank but you so much. Have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye.